162 games of baseball a season can feel like a grind to watch, but you can put the excitement back into each and every game with my bookie. Run lines, money lines, props galore. Nobody gives you more opportunities to win than my bookie. Getting started is simple. Deposit $300 and play with $200 instantly. Just use promo code ZABE to claim a MyBookie deposit bonus. Whether you're a diehard fan or a newcomer to the sport, there's never been a better time to join the MyBookie family. Go ahead and sign up today using promo code ZABE to secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000 with MyBookie. Whatever you put in, they'll meet halfway all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.com. Today on the Zabecast, it's Andy Poland, the guy I once derisively called Good Enough Andy. A man who knows more Redskins history than anybody. Somebody who loved Chinese food, Tiger Woods, and 60 Minutes on Sundays. And a guy who taught me the word Meshuggana. Your bonus, uncensored, 35-minute edition of the Zabecast is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, here we go! From parts unknown in the great state of Vermont, it is the Andy Poland annual late summer meekation. Just Andy up there with his friends who have a cabin in the woods. You know, uh, Henry David Thoreau once went away to reflect yep. on life. And you, sir, do this every summer. How is the Vermont living treating you this summer? It's it's great. It's, it's actually Chittenden, Vermont, which is uh, about 15 minutes from Rutland, Vermont, which is ski area, Killington, you know, people who ski. Killington, Stowe. Bolton yep. Valley. My family used to go up there to Bolton Valley in Vermont in the mm-hmm. winter to okay. ski. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, southern <laughs> Vermont. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, it, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. It's beautiful. Uh, and uh, I do what, what I usually do a little hiking, a little swimming, a little kayaking. In fact, I was out in the kayak this morning and uh, I saw a couple in a canoe and they said, Good morning. And I said, How's it going? And he says, Well, it can't be any better than this, can it? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> no, it can't. <laughs> nice. And and you just go alone. Your wife, Arlene, stays yep. back in D.C. You have friends who mm-hmm. own the cottage. These are not relatives. These are friends that you acquired along the way. Yeah. I mean, they, they might as well be relatives. Uh, they, their son uh, sadly passed away from ALS about a year ago, and he and I were friends since we were eight years old. And he's invited me to come here for most of the past oh. 50 years. and. When our kids were little, his two sons are about the same age as my kids. And so we would get together for a week every year and do the things that they would do as they grew up, which included water skiing and, you know, cooking out and swimming, kayaking, the whole deal. So it's nice. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very nice that you keep in touch with the family and that, you know, you've yeah. grown with them along the way and that you befriended a, uh, a young man who was dealt a horrible uh, set of cards in life, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. you get a place to go away. For, I believe, my favorite phrase that exists, Andy, at no cost to the league. (laughs) Yes, there is is the schnorr factor, which you know I'm good at. No, 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 no. no. Hold on. Hold on. Schnorring is when you take something or you angle for something free that is a little bit unseemly or 
tactless. This is not a schnore, Andy. You are a guest yeah. of the family. They are happy to have you, and they've got the room in their Vermont cabin. Right. I mean, it may come as a great surprise to you, but there are actually some people who enjoy my company, and uh, they invite me up here every year. <laughs> you dick. I enjoy your company. You know that. Well, thank you. Even though <laughs> at you. times we are like, gnashing teeth. I enjoy you. Yeah. I enjoyed your company for 16 years in the studio. Yeah. Both on the air and even more off the air, I enjoyed your company. So yeah. anyway, uh, I was accused by a listener, and he wasn't wrong, that my Friday podcast with Jay was a half-hearted effort. And he was right. I was just trying to get the week done. We were up in Green Bay, and I kind of I kind of mailed it in just a bit. And he said to me, he goes, well, I learned from you, Zabe, that you said, if, if this podcast doesn't at least make me a little bit smarter, then it wasn't worth my time. So I will effort to check that box and tell you that Henry David Thoreau, American naturalist, essayist, poet, philosopher, best known for his book Walden, um, who would go away to live in simple, natural surroundings, was born David Henry Thoreau, but he flipped the order of his names somewhere along the way. Did you know that? Did not know that. I did not know that, but he has one of my favorite quotes. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. So uh, yes. uh, most of us try to avoid that, and uh, I've kept that in mind all these years. Yeah, that he, he, that is a powerful quote as you sit there yeah. and think about it and stare about it. He's not wrong, but there you go. Mm-hmm. So as you're up there in Vermont, I thought I didn't give Vin Scully nearly enough of a run oh. here on this podcast last week, and you being a guy who appreciates – the classics appreciates the legends and loves great biographies could help me talk about the greatness of Vin Scully. What was your first thought when he finally passed away at 94? Well, I was surprised uh, because I did not know he was in ill health and he was, this is one of those cases. I understand that, but, but this is one of those cases where a man worked for 67 Years. years. He did his last broadcast of a baseball game when he was 88 going on 89. And if you listen to his close, and it's all over YouTube, the close of the last game, you would say to yourself, this man still has his fastball. And I believe Al Michaels said at the time, I don't know why he's retiring, because he's still good. I mean, how many times do you see that, that he was great the entire length of, of what was the longest run in the history of sports broadcasting. Yeah, and did games by himself, Dodger games. When he was tasked to do the network games, he, of course, had a color commentator, but still, you know, he could work either way, but he was perfectly comfortable working alone. Yep, he could tell stories, and baseball had the perfect pace for what he did best, and, uh, you know, I heard Bob Costas do a couple of the national shows like Rich Eisen and Dan Patrick, and he said... The baseball gods were always looking out for Vin because there could be a three and two count and he could be halfway through a story and the batter would foul off three or four pitches just to give him enough time to finish it before the end of the inning. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Meticulous preparation, incredible golden pipes, uh, the meticulous and perfect delivery. And on top of all that was a renowned prince of a human being to yep. anyone and everyone in the ecosystem of Major League Baseball, including the young punk broadcasters, I say punk with tongue-in-cheek, 
that were obviously trying to take his job. That's oh, rare yeah. to find. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I never met him, but uh, I have listened to a lot of people who have. And they're, you know, usually in, in our business, we meet people who know things behind the scenes say, well, he may seem that way, but boy, you do this to him and watch him do that. Right. And, and to a man, to a woman, no one I know of has ever said a, a bad word about him. I mean, he was as nice to everybody off the air as he seemed to be on the air. Yeah. You know, I, I knew at some point he was going to die, but if ever there was somebody who I thought might live forever, it was probably <laughs> Vin Scully. And so yeah, when he died, yeah. I was like, shit. Yeah, well, I guess I guess that was bound to happen, but I really wasn't mentally prepared for it. Think about this: of, of the people in the sport of baseball, the, the greats of the greats, the the Babe Ruth, the Willie Mays, he doing what he did was as good as what they did in their on the field. Right. I mean, he he was he was that good, and there and there won't be anybody like that again because they won't let him do it. If if, if somebody came on with an act like that, no, 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 no. It up. We got to get the graphics in. We got to get the analytics. You got to read this promo for Bill's Pizza. You know, and and it just his pace wouldn't work today. They wouldn't allow him to do it. Yeah. Or an owner would turn the operation of the broadcast team over to their dipshit son, who would then yeah. say, "We need to shake things up. We need to get younger." <laughs> and then they would fire a beloved and outstanding longtime announcer just to get younger and different. Who could I be thinking of? Oh, never mind, Andy. Let's just move on. So he did more than just baseball, more than just the Dodgers. He called the infamous Dwight Clark the catch game for the Niners against the Cowboys in 82? 82, January 82. Okay. He also called the Buckner gaff behind Mm -hmm. first base in the 86 World Series. Right. So combined, you know, you start adding up his iconic calls. He also called the Masters because he did golf. Um, Mm -hmm. And you combine all his big calls. I'd say him and Vern Lundquist are in that pantheon of the most historic, amazing, iconic calls in sports history with maybe Al Michaels in there as well. Yeah, and, and not only that, but each of them understood the moment that was presented to them with those calls and made the most of them. Like, you know, after the, the home run, um, in the 88 world series by Kirk Gibson. And I was going to get it breathe. Yeah. I was going to get to the Gibson home run. I didn't mention that there. Thank you for bringing that up, Andy, because I've got the audio. I want to listen to it with you and I want to comment on a couple of things. All right. Okay. So here we go. This was the Gibson home run. And it was uh, Game 1 World Series, 1988. Gibson had been great all year, but his older body, he was, what, 35 at the time, I think, uh, was starting to break down. And yet, here he comes off the bench in a pinch-hit desperation situation, and Vin Scully wasn't flummoxed. Vin Scully wasn't off balance because of it. He was ready for it and delivered a gem. Here we go. Look who's coming up. That's all he has to say. Look who's coming out. And then he lets yep. the pictures tell the story. He lays out forever here. Gibson is putting the pine tar on his bat. Director's cuts to the fans going bonkers. Tight shot of Eckersley starting to go, okay, shit, what now? Shot of Tony LaRusa and the A's dugout pacing back and forth. Lasorda looking from the top step left and right. 
Larusa making a note. I mean, Scully knows. You don't need me. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs, the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Unbelievable. I would imagine he would be running 50% to first base. So the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to catch lightning right now. Man, is that call good. Yeah. And then you go to the actual. So I'm looking at the uh, YouTube of the 9 minute 44 second. This is the entire at bat. Took nearly 10 minutes. And of course, this is back when, sadly... Baseball was such coin of the sporting realm that it drew the casual fan in to watch the World Series, and the ratings were twenty shares and above. Right, right. And, well, you had you had the sexy team in the Dodgers, and you had the greatest closer in the game, and Dennis Eckersley. Right. So you had this classic matchup, but I, I think his best line is after the home run, where he lets it breathe and. Classic Scully style. I think it was like 40 seconds, maybe longer than that. It was, and a, minute, it said, was a minute eight. We're going to listen to it in a second, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, And then he said, well, you want to play what he said after the no, no, delay? Just, or I can tell no, you. say it because I know you know it. He, he said, in the, in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. If you sat at a typewriter for four hours to come up with the perfect line for that, you couldn't do it. He came up with it in the moment. That's how good he was. He's not screaming. He, no. he lets it go. Yeah. And his pitch steps up just a little bit as the ball is sailing out with each word and then a high-pitched gone, and then he lays out for a minute and eight seconds as Gibson limps his way to home plate. I love the organ playing in the background. Yeah, what happened to the organ? Yeah, and he's limping around the bases. Lasorda, oh, Lasorda, giving him hugs. Teammates yeah. giving him hugs. And that was it for the series, too, because the A's were so shaken by that. I think they lost in five games. In a year that has been so. The impossible has happened. I mean, that is just uh, master class stuff right there. Uh, For something that could not have been foreseen. It's not like you can plan for that. It's not like anyone told him, hey, by the way, we're going to bring Gibson in on two bad legs at the very key moment, and he's going to hit a home run. So get a good line ready. Make sure you don't flub it. Make sure you're uh, fully up to speed on his injuries. And, I mean – that's that's the brilliance of uh, of Vin Scully. Of course, he also wasn't afraid to go there on things that had nothing to do with baseball at times. This was during a Brewers-Dodgers game in 2016, I believe, talking about 
Venezuela, and socialism. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. (laughs) Now, that's that's Vin Scully at 88. uh, Yes. with With the benefit of the Internet, so he could look up these things. I don't know whether he did it during the game. But he was as good pre-internet, and there are those that say the ninth inning of Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1963, which would have been 25 years before Gibson, was just incredible, just absolutely spellbinding how good he articulated the moment there. Just unbelievable. Another thing about watching those old clips of the 88 Dodgers, and of course we're old enough to remember it as if it was yesterday, so it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it really was being 34 years ago. I was talking about this with Jay about, you know, the decline of baseball as a national come to the TV, watch the game, know the players kind of thing. Uh, And I said, well, back in 88, the major leagues were still overwhelmingly American. Yes, there was a sprinkling of Latin mm-hmm. ball players, but nothing like what we have now. And so it makes it harder for the average American citizen to kind of grasp the difference of so many, you know, Latin players. Not that it's a bad thing. They're fucking great baseball players. And the hardcore guys know them, but you're talking about a team with Tim Belcher and Tim Cruz and Oral Hershiser and uh, Ken Howell and Jesse Orozco and Don Sutton. You know, Fernando was one of the few imports on that team. Mike Sosha mm-hmm. at catcher and all, you know, Pedro Guerrero, uh, Steve Sachs, Franklin Stubbs was on that team. Mike Davis in the outfield, Gibson, Mike Devereaux. I mean, Mickey Hatcher was another one. Mike Marshall. Right, and all those guys. Yeah. All those guys uh, were pretty much homegrown. Gibson was brought in from the Tigers, where he had won before, and he's the one that set the tone with them. There were a bunch of jokers uh, when he got to spring training. You heard the story where uh, in spring training they put the eye black in the uh, bill of his cap, and he put his cap on, and he had it on his forehead, and everybody was laughing, and right. he threw down his cap, and he went to, the, went to the clubhouse, and he came out, and he said, look, he said, I will fight everybody on the other team for you, but we cannot be a bunch of grab-ass losers here. And that set the tone for the season. Because he, he, he was a football player. You know, he, was, he would have been, a, a, if he wanted to play pro football, he could have. He was a star receiver at Michigan State right. and elected to play baseball. But he, he was a no-nonsense guy, and he, he turned that team around because they had, they had struggled for a couple of years. They had not done well when yeah. he got there. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 162 games of baseball a season can feel like a grind to watch, but you can put the excitement back into each and every game with my bookie. Run lines, money lines, props galore. Nobody gives you more opportunities to win than my bookie. Getting started is simple. Deposit $300 and play with $200 instantly. Just use promo code ZABE to claim a my bookie deposit bonus. Whether you're a diehard fan or a newcomer to the sport, there's never been a better time to join the MyBookie family. Go ahead and sign up today using promo code ZABE to secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000 with MyBookie. Whatever you put in, they'll meet halfway all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.com. Meanwhile, the Hall of Fame induction weekend came and went. And amongst the enshrinees won Tony Baselli, left tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fact fact that he got in before Joe Jacoby is another enduring and searing condemnation of the fucking idiots who are running the induction process for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I had to go make a chart just to make sure – I had all the numbers in front of me comparing the two. Baselli played six seasons and then blew up his knee. And because of that, they're going, well, he would have been great for a long time if his knee didn't blow up. When is this a criteria for letting guys into the Hall of Fame? That's called a, you know what, too fucking bad. We're now letting yeah. guys in on the smallest sample of careers. So here's the chart, and then I'll let you get your points off. Seasons played, Joe Jacoby 13, Baselli 6. Super Bowls, which should count for something. Jacoby 3, Baselli 0. Pro Bowls were virtually even, although that's a bad one because it's voting and it's stupid, but Baselli had 5, Jacoby had 4. All Pro, which is more reflective, about the same. Baselli had 3, Jacoby had 2. But most importantly, do they play other positions on the line? Baselli, no. He was only a left tackle. Jake was moved around to right tackle, and he played guard at one point as well. But here's the key difference, two key differences. Number one, Joe Jacoby has long since been washed down the memory hole of, oh, yeah, I remember sort of him a long time ago, and he's not in the limelight like Baselli tends to be. He's not on TV, Baselli, but at least he's in the mix. He also, Joe Jacoby, let's be honest, he's not a Broadway model, okay? He doesn't speak with, you know, great fanfare, but who cares? But it matters to these voters because they're so perception-oriented. Baselli, good-looking, relatively modern, not off doing the rest of his life like Jacoby is. It gives him a bump, and most importantly, Andy, draft status oh absolutely jacoby was undrafted out of 12 rounds not seven not seven but 12 rounds 12 rounds undrafted and didn't they flip him from defense to offense 
Well, there was there was a misconception. Joe Gibbs looked at him when he was talking to the free agents individually, and since Joe was six seven three hundred, assumed he was a defensive player. And Jake was so shy, he didn't say anything. And as the story goes, uh, Gibbs went to Bobby Beathard, the GM who had brought in Jacoby as a free agent. He said, "We got too many offensive linemen. We need to get rid of this guy." And Beathard said, "No, no, just just bring him in." And and the fact that Mark May, who was a first round draft pick, held out really helped Jake so that by the time right. he got in, he'd already established right. himself. Yeah. Jacoby yeah. undrafted in 12 rounds, Tony Baselli, the second overall pick of the draft. So in other words, he was expected to be good. He was yep. for a short, hot time. His team didn't win shit while they were there, except they went to an AFC title game or two. And he is in the Hall of Fame over a guy with double the number of seasons played who has more versatility, triple the Super Bowls, and the same and everything else, it's a fucking joke. Well, let me, let me, let me throw one more thing at you. Uh, they made a movie about this. It's called The Blind Side. The left tackle is, uh, is, is very important for the blind side. Who was the quarterback for Tony Baselli's run in the NFL? He was left-hander Mark yes. Brunel. Yes, so the blind side would be on the right side where the other tackle played, not the left side, which was not the blind side for his quarterback. Does anybody take that into account, along with the important point you made about him being the second pick of the draft? So he would say, oh, an offensive lineman, second pick? He must be great. And, and the average person can't judge offensive line play. You know, maybe coaches can do right. that, but that's not really who does all the selecting. Right. So, so there's this perception that he's great coming out of school, and you really can't tell. I mean, they have some analytics to go by and so forth, but you don't know how much the quarterback is, and especially a mobile quarterback like Brunel, who could run when he was in Jacksonville. So, you know, I think all that is just totally nonsense, total nonsense. Yeah, perception, optics, all this stuff that shouldn't matter is what drives this unelected, unaccountable cabal of buffet-grazing tool bags that are on that committee. Fire them all, fire them all, fire them to the moon and into the fucking sun and start over. Oh, what system are you going to use, Abe? I don't know, but it won't be this system because this system can't figure shit out. Yeah, well, Jake is out of the committee, the Peter King gang, uh, his time is already up with them, so it's now on to the seniors committee. And uh, I was told he, he, that just, when his time was up yeah. in the uh, for the writers, uh, John Clayton, the late John Clayton, told me that he had heard from senior committee members, oh, if he's not elected by the writers committee, we're going to put him in. Well, it's been about three years now, three or four years, and he's still not in. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And, oh, one more point about the blindside thing that, you know, Paselli never really played the blindside like Jacoby did. Jake mm-hmm. blocked for some of the least running statues in oh, those yeah. Super Bowl runs. Doug Williams, Mark Rippon. I mean, these guys could barely get out of their shadow when they were playing. And he had to block Lawrence fucking Taylor. Twice a year, sometimes three times, when they would meet in the playoffs. Right. Well, yeah. So, do you what? What is the option with the Hall of Fame? How, how, how do we fix it so at least it it doesn't commit these kind of errors? I don't know. It's but it, it's disgusting, and 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 it's it's related to you know Baselli does broadcasting now, so this is this is what happens. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Davis. What is his broadcasting gig, Baselli? 
I, I know he does some national radio, and he may also do some stuff on the NFL Network, but this happened with Terrell Davis. When Terrell Davis finished his career, the people at the Hall of Fame said, or the Hall of Fame committee said, well, he was great, but too, for too short a period of time, sadly, he can't get in. Oh, he starts working for the NFL Network, and he gets yeah. a big rush, and, yeah. and then he's in. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? God, I would love to get up in front of the uh, committee. Uh, in, in front of these writers just one time. Give me a special pass. I'll get a PowerPoint. I'll go through it all, and then I will scream at them like I just did. And I will point them out name by name. I will ta- I'll burn their house down. They're the worst. Okay, let's, uh, let's change the gears. Uh, let's change gears here. Um, how are the commanders doing? I saw they had their Saturday night fake family night. I went to the original family night at Lambeau Field in Green Bay on Friday night. But I saw Ooh, that the commanders. Legendary. I saw the commanders had their practice. You can go to mm-hmm. at FedEx Field on Saturday night, and I understand that Carson Wentz is not exactly throwing bullets right now. Right, right. Yeah, they they spent the off season with three big bullet points. One is he's a great communicator. Two, he's a great teammate. Three, he has an NFL arm. But when it's out there with pads on instead of guys running in shorts, uh, he's not very accurate right now. And Ron Rivera, who has been his PR agent all offseason, is saying, oh, don't worry. We're not worried about the accuracy right now. Well, let's see. Uh, You know, two teams at great expense threw him overboard. And he he was available here in Washington. Let's see how he does, but I'm really skeptical. Yeah, it's a potential disaster in the making. Uh, John Keim, our friend uh, for ESPN, ESPN.com, asked Rivera about it, and Rivera's answer was, well, his accuracy is a lot better than you give him credit for. (laughs) Then he goes on to say, there's a lot of nuances that we see and we look at. We got to review. Yeah. Yeah, there's some inaccuracy, said Rivera, but it's nothing that we are overly concerned about. Right, right, right. Yeah. What's nuanced about an overthrown pass? <laughs> what, what's the new? What's nuanced about an interception? I, I, I don't instruct me. I'd like to know. Well, an interception may have nuance if the receiver ran the wrong route, but an overthrow, yeah, an overthrow. Yeah. Okay, a flat overthrow is called inaccuracy. Uh, Kime points out the club will need Wentz to iron out those accuracy issues <laughs> over the next month before the regular season begins. That's a tall task for one month. So that yeah. said, give me the commander's early buzz aside from Carson Wentz as you see it, because you are still a, a commander's fan. I have punched out, so I'm really not following. What's the buzz? Well, I mean, Terry McLaurin being in is, is big for them. He's a great ambassador for the team on the field and off the field. So there's, some excitement about that. I saw Curtis um, Samuel caught a touchdown in the scrimmage. Yeah. So hallelujah and, and, for that. Yeah, but he's he's an MG. You know, you, you, you ride him around the track a few times, and then you have to put, put him up on the rack because you got to make sure that, you know, this this part is still working and that part. So they're they're ramping him up and down, as they said. I, I think he's got, got injury-filled season written all over him again. Oh, and no. then And then Chase Young... Uh, I, everything that's coming out of Ron, Ron Rivera never talks about injuries during the regular season. He keeps talking about Chase Young, and the bar keeps moving. Like he he said at a at a news conference that he might have to start the season on the pup list, and he said, as he understood it, that was six games. Well, if you check the rule book, it's only four. 
But it sounds like in the mind of Rivera oh that he's got him out for at least six, and then six can become eight, 12, and, all, you know, and then all of a sudden you got a guy coming off an, an ACL who may miss another full season. Okay. Uh, file this one under the simple category of this league. The fact that Stephen Ross was somehow cleared of the Brian Flores accusations while at the same time being suspended for six games and fined $1.5 million for trying to tamper with Tom Brady and Sean Payton is peak this league. I read Sally Jenkins' takedown of the whole thing in the post this morning, and it was epic because she had the quotes from the report in which basically multiple people in the organization said, oh, yeah. I heard the owner say that, that the draft is more important than the record. Yet at the end of the day, the NFL said, yeah, but we don't think Ross was serious about it. So right. no foul. Right. Wow. Right. It, 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 yeah. I mean, it, that, that, that to me is just galling that, that you had an owner that, that clearly wanted to tank. Now, whether the offer of $100,000 per game was legitimate, uh, who knows, but the intent was to lose games. There's no question about that. Right. No question. Right. And knowing what a shit heel he is, if Flores has said, "Okay, boss, I'll tank for you," he wouldn't have paid him the hundred grand at the end of it because he's a he's a snake. This owner. See, I think Steve yeah. Ross does not get credit for being one of the bottom five owners in the league, along with Snyder, along with Jimmy Haslam, along with who uh, with Woody Johnson with the Jets. Right? Yeah. Who would else you, is would a you bottom? Put Jerry there? Would you put no, Jerry in that class? Not because in the Jerry least. what? Because but but Jerry's got Jerry's got a, a, a daughter who's come forward and <laughs> talked about you know money that she's owed from from that and then the, the payoff of Rich Dalrymple, the former vice president of communications, the peeping Tom. I mean, there's there's skeletons in his closet too. I know, but I'm looking at the mm. overall ability to run a franchise and to be relevant. And good. The, the Cowboys have not won anything lately, but they have been very relevant. And yeah. he built the stadium. He built the star complex. He's incredibly shrewd in that regard. Yes, he's got skeletons, no question. But he is not bottom half of an owner. I think he's one of the top ten mm-hmm. owners in the league. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have... But he's a little bit slimy. Stuff. He's a little bit slimy. Yeah. I mean... Snyder can't get out of his own way. Stephen Ross doesn't know how the fuck to run a football team at all. Woody Johnson is an absentee idiot. Haslam is slimy as hell, and they've got this Deshaun Watson thing, which we'll end on here in a second. So, I mean, those are some of the worst owners in the league. You know, these are guys who are used to getting their own way. And I heard Mike Florio put it this way about about Stephen Ross, which I think is is a good way to put it. They don't have to necessarily say exactly what they want. They just need to imply it. So if, for example, <laughs> Stephen Ross is thinking he would like to have Calzone for lunch, Calzone shows up. It's not that he necessarily has to say it. He's just got people that know what he wants. And right. that's what, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. So with that said, the Deshaun Watson situation is now headed towards a NFL redo with a different arbiter or judge even though Goodell, in, in theory, could have heard the, the appeal himself, do you think the league will win and get their full-year suspension? And if they do, does Deshaun Watson and his lawyers stand a chance of upending it in court? 
No, because you've got, you got precedent on this, like uh, Ezekiel Elliott, and I think there have been a couple of others that have tried to, to go to court on these things and, and, and haven't done it. And I think Goodell just didn't want his hands on it, but they want him out of the league for a year. They need that perception. They can't have six games for a guy who had a string of suits. And this Sue L. Robinson, I mean, she gave him a roadmap. She, you know, she said that, that he was a predator, uh, she, nonviolent sexual assault. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, she, she's saying, well, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming here, but I got to go by precedent. And in other cases like this, it was six games, so I'm going to give him six games. But reality is it's ridiculous. This guy is, is, was using uh, massage therapists as prostitutes. Is there – whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Prostitutes? Well, that's what he was after doing. I mean, he was looking for sexual – None you know, of the none of the none of the complainants, to my knowledge, claims that he had sex with them or that they performed any sexual act on him. Just that they wanted him to touch his peepee. Well, that's that's you know that's to me that sounds like assault. Not no, not I know, violent, but, but I just wanted to clarify. I don't think it's yeah. fair, Andy, to say that he was using them as prostitutes. He may have wanted that, but at least none of the ones that filed suit actually claimed. He had sex with me or forced me to do a sexual act. Just for the record. But, now, my personal belief is, Andy, there was, what, 33 cases? There was probably another 30 or more that did have sex with him or did do something that was sexual in nature. They just knew it was part of the deal. They were the, the thirsty types that had an Instagram account and a massage business. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a different deal, though. Yeah, that, wait, that's right. not which the is one. which is yeah. slimy and sleazy, but that's what he was trafficking in. He's an idiot. So exit question, and we'll close on this. Is this trade salvageable in the long run for the Browns, or is it essentially dead on arrival? Well, it depends on how he performs in two years. But the the uh, the need look look at the chase for Tom Brady at forty five. So Deshaun Watson is still only like twenty six. So. If he sits out for two years, which he will have done if he's out for all of this year, and he performs well, it will all be worth it because these are unicorns. You can't find these guys. Right. But he's going to have to play so well to overcome this PR disaster and the possible mm-hmm. loss of a full season because they gave up a shit ton to get him. So good yep. luck to Deshaun, good luck to the Browns, but something tells me this thing is disaster on arrival with Deshaun in Cleveland. So what are you doing today up there at your cabin in the Vermont woods? Oh, we'll have a little cookout later. I'll go for a little swim. I'll relax at the boathouse with a beer and read my book. It's very, very relaxing. Life is good. How, uh, when are you coming back? Uh, on Saturday. Okay, so two weeks? Yep. Just a week, one week. Okay, yep. one week. Beautiful. All right, Andy, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, bud. All right, Dave, take there care. All right, let's hope today was a more focused, credible effort with sound bites and all the stuff you're used to. That, that emailer was right. Friday was shit. I apologize, subscribers. We'll do better. We'll do better than that. I could make the excuse that, look, it was a long week in Green Bay, uh, sharing a flop house with several other colleagues from 97.3 The Game, and that I was just like, get it over with, get it over with. I can make that excuse, but nobody wants to hear it. Show me the baby. As the saying goes, show me the good podcast. And I hope we did that today. Have a great Monday, everybody. And we will see you next time.
162 games of baseball a season can feel like a grind to watch, but you can put the excitement back into each and every game with my bookie. Run lines, money lines, props galore. Nobody gives you more opportunities to win than my bookie. Getting started is simple. Deposit $300 and play with $200 instantly. Just use promo code ZABE to claim a MyBookie deposit bonus. Whether you're a diehard fan or a newcomer to the sport, there's never been a better time to join the MyBookie family. Go ahead and sign up today using promo code ZABE to secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000 with MyBookie. Whatever you put in, they'll meet halfway all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie.com.